All right, well, hello, High Point. Hey, listen, if you are new here today, uh, my name is Will, and I serve as one of the elders and pastors here at our church. And so if you're tuning in for the first time today, we are so glad you are here. I personally feel that you have picked a perfect Sunday to tune in uh, today. Now, I want to begin by saying hello to you. And I also want to say hello to all of our church at home groups. Uh, We are so thankful for each and every one of you. We pray uh, that today would be a day of fellowship, uh, a day of food, uh, a day of wonderful conversation, both for the morning and the afternoon service. Now, today uh, we are starting uh, a brand new sermon series entitled Habitology. Habitology. Now, if you search the word habitology on Google, I can promise you, you won't find anything. And, and the reason why is because it's a word that we've made up, right? Now, here's why we created the word habitology. Uh, that, that suffix ology, that the end of the word ology means the study of something. So, for example, theology, theos is God, and ology is the study of. So theology is the study of God. So what we are doing in this series is we are studying habits. We are looking at habits through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of the gospel. Now, here's the thing. You, you may not know this, but God has created us to be habitual creatures. Or to put it in another way, uh, when you look through Scripture, one of the things that you see is that we have been created by God to be creatures of habit. We are creatures of habit. Now, uh, a book that came out on habits uh, a few years ago now, um, it's called The Power of Habits. And the author of the book was a gentleman named Charles Duick. And and in his book, here's what Charles Duick says. Uh, I'll read it here. It says, habits, scientists say, emerge because the brain is constantly looking for ways to save effort. Left to its own devices, the brain will try to make almost any routine into a habit because habits allow our minds to ramp down more often. So uh, what Charles Duhigg is saying in the book, he's not a believer, but what he is saying is that scientists, as they've studied the human brain, uh, what they've discovered is that humans, uh, by definition, we have been created by God to be creatures of Habit. Now, here's the thing about habits, right? There are good habits and there are bad habits. So examples of good habits are uh, brushing your teeth, right, in the morning and at night, uh, eating well, getting enough sleep, uh, looking both ways when you are crossing the road, right, uh, putting on your seatbelt, reading your Bible, praying, right? Those are, those are all examples of good habits. But there's also bad habits, right? Uh, uh, eating too late. Uh, grinding your teeth, biting your nails, uh, chewing with your mouth open, being a Grizzlies fan, right? They're they're like, come on. (laughs) That's that's for you, Josh. Uh, So what we we see, right, is that there's good habits and there's bad habits. But, but, But here's the thing about habits. Habits have the power to, here's how powerful habits are. On the one hand, Habits have the power to show your heart, right? But at the very same time, habits have the power to shape your heart. So so your habits will always show your heart, 
But if you incorporate good biblical gospel-centered habits into your life, those same habits that show your heart can also shape your heart. Okay, so, so habits can reveal your heart, but they can also refocus your heart. Dr. Michael Horton, who's a professor at Westminster Theological Seminary, here's what he says about habits. He says, character is largely a bundle of habits. Think about that. Your character essentially is a bundle of your daily, weekly, monthly habits. So, so, so habits are powerful enough to show your heart, but they are also powerful enough to shape your heart. The, the Dutch theologian who lived back in the, 13th, the 1300s, uh, he's the one who wrote the devotional Imitation of Christ, uh, uh, Thomas Akempis. Here's what he says about habits. He says, habit is overcome by habit. So, so, so think about that. Essentially is what I just said, right? Habit, the way to overcome a habit is with a another habit. So, so habits can show your heart, but they can also shape your heart. They, they can reveal your heart, but they can also refocus your heart. And so the question that we need to be asking and answering in this series is not so much, um, do we have habits? Because it's clear that we do. The, the better question is, do we have habits that honor God and help others? That's, that's the question that we really need to be wrestling with and addressing in this series. Now, our passage today comes to us from Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses one through two. Romans 12, verses one through two. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn there. Uh, Romans comes right after the book of Acts. So you have the four gospels, then you have Acts, and then you have the book of Romans. And here's what Paul says um, in verse one of Romans chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's the will of the the word of the Lord. Not the will of the Lord, it's the word of the Lord. Um, So here's what we're going to do. Today, what we're going to do is we are going to look at this passage under two headings. We are going to begin today by looking at the pattern for habits. And then we are going to conclude by looking at the power for habits. So the pattern of habits or for habits. And then we're going to look at the power for habits. Okay, so so let's begin today by looking at the pattern in this passage. The Apostle Paul gives us a three part pattern that we must be aware of and that we must be living out and carrying out if we are to be the people that God is calling us to be. So so in this passage, this is the three part pattern that Paul is calling us to live out. The first thing that we are being called to do is the, the presentation of your body. So the presentation of your body. The second part of the pattern is the transformation of your mind. And in the third part of the, part of the pattern is the comprehension of his will. So the presentation of your body, the transformation of your mind, and the comprehension of his will. Now, here's the thing that I need you to understand about this list, okay? This, this three-part pattern that, that Paul is laying out for us in Romans 12, 1 and 2. At the end of the day, before we can talk about habits, we have to set a biblical 
foundation for our lives. In other words, I almost named this first point uh, the precursor to habits. Because here's, here's what I'm going to argue. What I'm going to argue is that in order for us to establish habits that honor God and help others, we first have to make sure that our lives represent this pattern. This, this is the foundation that's needed in order for you to establish gospel-centered, Christ-honoring patterns in your life. This is the precursor. If you don't have this foundation, you cannot be uh, the person that Paul is calling you to be, not just here, but then later on. This is the foundation for habits. Think about it. If you don't give God your body, if you don't give God your mind, and you don't surrender your will to God, then really all the habits that you add to your life will ultimately be about you. But once you understand that your body, your mind, and your will all submit to God, from then on now, any habit that you add won't be for you. It'll be for God's honor and for the help of your neighbor. And so this becomes the foundation for the rest of our series. So the three-part pattern is the presentation of your body, the transformation of your mind, and the comprehension of his will. So let's begin with the first part of the pattern, which is the presentation of your body. Look, look what Paul says here in verse one. I'm going to reread it. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So what Paul says here in the first part of, of chapter 12, verse one, is he says that the, the first part of the pattern is that we must be daily presenting our bodies to God. Now, Paul here in verse one, he is using temple language. He is using priestly language. He is using Old Testament sacrificial language. As a matter of fact, the word there present, it means to offer up. It means to yield up, to, to surrender yourself. It literally means in the Greek, the word present, to place yourself on an altar as a sacrifice. So, so, so Paul here is using Old Testament temple language. And he wants us to know that in the Old Testament, in the old way, uh, there was a priest, he would go into the temple. And if you sinned against God, you would bring the sacrifice. He would take the animal. He would put it on the altar. He would slice its throat. He would drain its blood. And that animal literally was dying in your place. It was you saying to God, I deserve what this animal is getting, but instead I'm, this animal's taking it in my place. So I deserve to die. I deserve to be punished. I deserve to be under your wrath. But instead, I am giving up this animal as a sacrifice. And this animal is dying in my place. So, so Paul here is saying, look, in the new covenant, there's no need for a temple. There's no need for a priest. There's no need for sacrifices. But now the sacrifice is you. And it's not a dead sacrifice. It is a living sacrifice, a daily sacrifice. You are sacrificing your entire body. You are presenting your body to God on a daily basis. Now, here's the thing. What Paul writes here would have been extremely controversial in that day. It would have caught his original readers off guard, both the Jews and the Gentiles. Okay. So let me talk to you a little bit about the Gentiles first. In those days, both Romans and Greeks believed that the human body was inherently sinful. It was inherently broken. It was literally, uh, 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 you, the good stuff was inside. It was your brain and your mind and your soul were, were the good stuff. And your body was this outer shell that was broken, sinful, and wasting away. So, so for Roman and Greek societies, the body was bad. So for the Apostle Paul to say that we can present our bodies to God and it is holy and acceptable and pleasing to him, that would have been 
completely uh, 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 counterintuitive for the original Gentile readers. But then he also figures out a way to offend not just the original, the Gentile readers, but also the Jewish readers, because Paul uses the phrase, a living sacrifice. Now, we might not think that's paradoxical, but that was, was a very paradoxical concept. That was very, it was, a, it was an oxymoron, a living sacrifice. The word sacrifice in Greek literally means a killing. So if you read it in the original language, Paul says, present your body to God as a living killing. Think about how weird that is, right? Because in, that, in those days, the only sacrifices that were presented were dead sacrifices. Paul says, no, in the new covenant, uh, uh, instead of you dying for your sin, Jesus has died for your sin. And so since there's no need for a temple and there's no need for a priest and there's no need for a sacrifice, you are now a living, breathing sacrifice to God every day of your life. Here's what's fascinating though, right? The Apostle Paul in one verse completely dismantles consumer Christianity. Think about that. Consumer Christianity, for those of you who don't know, is a really big thing throughout our nation, but it's a very, very big thing in the South. And consumer Christianity essentially is this. I'm going to go to church and you got to meet all my needs. The sermon better be good and the music better be awesome and the kids ministry better be on point and the coffee better be perfect. consumer Christianity is I go to church in order to have my needs met. And if at any point the church I'm at doesn't meet my needs, then I'm going to move on to the next church that does meet my needs. And so we end up treating church like Amazon or the mall instead of the church. And so consumer Christianity is a very real thing and it's alive and well in the South. Well, what's fascinating is that when what, with one verse, the Apostle Paul completely dismantles consumer Christianity and the Apostle Paul says, listen, you, your, your Christian life in light of the gospel is not about what you get from God. It's about what you give to God. In the gospel, God already gave you everything. And so now you must respond by giving him everything. It's the only response. And so consumer Christianity in one verse is completely dismantled uh, by Paul. Paul says that Christianity now, it was the same, the same that it was 2,000 years ago is true today. It's about in light of what God has given me, which is everything, his son at the cross. Now, the only response I can have to him is by giving him everything back. It's the only way it works. It's not about what I get anymore. It's about what I give. In Romans chapter 6, verse 13, the Apostle Paul gets after this idea of presenting your body to God as a result of the gospel. And look what he says. He says, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have new life. Then he says, so use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. So Paul says, in light of the fact that Jesus gave himself up as a actual sacrifice, the only response we can have, literally in in the word spiritual there means logical, it means rational, says your spiritual worship. So the only logical, rational, reasonable response to what Jesus did is to give my life up for him, to present my entire body to him. Dr. F.F. Bruce, who's one of my favorite commentators, here's what he says about this. He says, the sacrifices of the new order do not consist in taking the lives of others, 
like the ancient animal sacrifices, but in giving one's own. It is the only rational, logical, reasonable response to the gospel. Now, here's the thing. You may be sitting here today and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. You may be atheist, you may be agnostic, or you may be of another religion, right? And you may be sitting here thinking, man, if this is what Christianity is, I'm glad I'm not a Christian because I don't want to present my body. I don't want to make sacrifices to God and especially not my own life. My life belongs to me. I'm American. I do whatever I want, right? Well, here's the interesting thing about the worship of a God. Whether you worship the God of the Bible uppercase G, or you worship another God, lowercase G, every God that you worship requires sacrifice. So whether you believe in the God of the Bible or not, you better believe you are sacrificing to some God. Your, your God may not be the, the God of the Bible. It might not even be the God of another religion. It might be, you might be your own God, or your family might be your God, or your career might be your God, or romance might be your God, or uh, success might be your God, or your politics might be your God. But everybody has a God. God has created us in such a way that we are worshipers by nature. We are created to worship. There's a little throne on the seat of your heart, and there's always something seated on that throne. So it might not be the God of the Bible, but you better believe something's there. And whatever your God is, it will require sacrifice because that's how God's work. So, so for example, one of the things that, that we do, right, also modern people, when we look back in biblical times, there was, there was these religions in the land of Canaan where there was child sacrifices. Children would be sacrifices to, the, to these gods, right? Now, we look at that and we say, that's, that's atrocious. That, that's absolutely horrendous. Child sacrifice, how primitive is that? Well, here's the thing. Let's say, for example, that your God is your career. I can't tell you how many children are sacrificed on the altar of career. Child sacrifices are alive and well. And you might not be putting your child on an actual altar, but you better believe that you are teaching your children that your job is more important than them. And they're going to grow up and be bitter people because you worship your career instead of the creator. So, 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 so let me make that crystal clear. Even, even though you might not believe anything of what I'm saying, you are worshiping something. The question is, what? According to this passage, the only logical, rational, reasonable thing to worship is the God of the Bible because he already gave you everything at the cross. So the, the first part of the pattern is the presentation of your body. The, the second part of the pattern is the transformation of your mind. The transformation of your mind. Look what, look what Paul says in verse two. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So according to Paul, the, the second part of this pattern, the second part of this pattern is the transformation of your mind. Mind. Now, here's the thing. In, in verse two, uh, the apostle Paul gives us a two-part command. There is a negative part and there is a positive part. So, so let me begin with the negative part. The, the first thing that the apostle Paul says is that we must not be conformed to this world. So here's the good news. If you by nature are a non-conformist, then congratulations, you're more holy than most of us. Because the Apostle Paul is saying that a true Christian is a nonconformist at heart. Why? Because the world is constantly trying to make you conform 
to its mold. The, the word there, conform, literally means to be fashioned. It means to be molded. It means to be squeezed into a mold. So the word there, conform, means. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is that because we live in a sinful world, the world around us is constantly putting external pressure on us to conform to its opinions, to its worldviews, to its lifestyles, to its uh, 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 um, uh, temptations, to its aspirations, to its hopes. The world around us, because it's sinful and it's broken, it is constantly putting external pressure on us to conform to become like it. And so Paul says we have to be aware of that and we have to make sure that we actively fight against conforming to the patterns of this world. And Paul's not the only one that says it. If you go back to Leviticus chapter 18, there's an example of it where, where God is talking to the Israelites and they're about to enter into essentially the promised land. And, and, and he says to them, listen, I don't want you to be like the Canaanites, just like I commanded you to not be like the Egyptians. So all the way back in Leviticus 18, God was already in the business of telling his people to not be like the world around them. Then you fast forward to Matthew chapter five. In Matthew five, Jesus says, not only do I not want you to be like the world, I want you to be the light and the salt of the world. The world is dark and so I need you to bring light. The world is decaying and so I need you to be the salt that, that literally stops it from decaying. And then in John chapter two, a little bit later on, uh, John says, do not love the world or the things of the world. He doesn't say that we shouldn't love the people of the world because even God loves the people of the world, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, right? That he gave. But we aren't to love the, the evil principles of the world, the, the, the patterns of the world, the opinions of the world, the lifestyles of the world, the temptations of the world, the aspirations of the world. There is a constant battle that we must be in. And that is the first part of the command. But then he doesn't just tell us to not do something. He tells us to do something instead. He says, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That is the positive part of the command. That is where I get the transformation of your mind part. Instead of being conformed to the word, to the world, we need to be transformed. Our minds need to be transformed. Now, here's what's fascinating about that Greek word transformed. It's, it's where we get the word metamorphosis from. It literally means to be transformed, to be changed in nature from the inside out. That, that word is used three times in New Testament. So once here, and then it's used in 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18, which I'm going to look at here in a second. And then, interestingly enough, it's used to describe what happens to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is transfigured. It says that his inner being comes out and the Greek word there used is the same Greek word that Paul uses here. So three times in the New Testament, that word transformed is used. It literally means to be changed in nature from the inside out. So Paul says, instead of being conformed, from the outside in, we should be transformed from the inside out. So, so, so the question that you might be asking is this, how can I be transformed, right? Because I would argue that it's not enough just to not be conformed. If you aren't doing something in its place, you better believe that you're going to be conformed. That's why he has the commands together. The best way to not be conformed is to actively be transformed, Right? So, so the question is, how can we be transformed? Well, the Bible gives us two ways to be transformed. The, the first way to transform our minds is with the word of God right here. 
The, the word of God is the primary tool that God uses to transform us, to, to literally change our nature from the inside out. The, the word of God, it, that's why it was so important for us to be in the word of God on a daily basis. I, some people mis misunderstand that. They say, oh, I got to read my Bible because it's the only way God will be happy with me. No, 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 no. That's not the gospel. That's religion. Listen, the reason why we should be in God's word is because it's the only thing that's telling you that you're already loved and that you're already accepted. And that you're already approved of. So it's not like if I read, God will love me. It's I, I, I read it to be reminded that God already loves me and that he already gave me everything. And so the word of God is a constant reminder that the work is finished. And so I can walk in the freedom of that. So, so the word of God is the first way in which your mind is renewed and transformed. But, but the second way is not just the word of God, but it's by beholding the work of God, the, the gospel, the, the finished work of Jesus. The more you behold that, the more you meditate on that, the more you give yourself up to that, the more that transforms you from the inside out. Now, that's not just my opinion. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. The other place where this word transform, transformation is used, Okay. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Paul, writing again to the church in Corinth, says this. And we all with unveiled face, so he's making reference to the Old Testament, the veil has been removed, right? And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. There's that Greek word again, the metamorphosis, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So according to the Apostle Paul here in Romans 12 and then also in 2 Corinthians 3, the way that we are transformed from the inside out is by reading the Word of God and by beholding the work of God. So the degree that you do that, to that same degree, you will be transformed. That, that's, that's how it works, Okay. Here, one, one of the illustrations that really helped me as I was processing this, I actually read this book uh, several years ago, but Francis Chan um, in his book, Crazy Love, he has this illustration. I'm pretty sure it's in this passage, but, but maybe not. But, he, but here's what he says. He says that spiritual growth is not what a lot of us think it is. He says the image that, you, that should come to mind when you think about spiritual growth in this sinful, broken world is, 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 is almost like the world that we live in is like an escalator going down. And we have to go up that escalator. The way we grow is by continually going up that escalator. The problem is, is that if you go two or three or four days without being in God's word, without being in prayer, without worshiping, you think you're staying still, but you're not staying still because the escalator continues to go down. So every day you're either being conformed to the world or you're being transformed by the word. Every day is your choice. I'm either being conformed to the world around me or I'm being transformed by the word and the work for me. So, so, so when I get up every morning, if I actively choose or I get distracted with other things, oh, you know what, I'll get to reading the Bible later or I'll pray later. I'll do that some other time. You better believe that I'm not staying still. The escalator continues to go down. Why? Because we live in a sinful, fallen world that is constantly trying to conform you and mold you and shape you into its image. So you're either becoming more like what the world says or you're becoming more like what the, wor the word says. But the escalator is always moving. If we're not being transformed, you better believe we are being conformed. So 
The first part of the pattern is the presentation of your body. The second part of the pattern is the transformation of your mind. And then the third and final part of the pattern is the comprehension of his will. The comprehension of his will. Look, look how Paul finishes here. Uh, verse two, I'll reread verse two. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, so the last part is the comprehension of God's will. But what I want you to see here is I don't want you to miss the order, guys. Don't miss the order. The comprehension of God's will doesn't come until the end. So the body has to be offered first. The mind has to be renewed first. And then the will will be discerned but it only happens at the end. But, but here's part of the problem. What a lot of us want is we want to uh, comprehend God's will without presenting our body or renewing our mind. We want to jump to the last step. But, but what we see, and this is why I, it bothers me sometimes when you, when you hear sermons on the will of God or read books on the will of God, they get so mystical, like to, to discover the will of God, you got to do this and you got to pray and you got to do prayer walks and you got to fast. And look, all those things are great. But Paul makes it crystal clear. If you want to comprehend God's will, you have to present your body and you have to transform your mind. And then you will then comprehend God's will. But what a lot of us want is we want to jump to step three without doing the first two steps. And here's the problem when we do that. If in some way you discover what God's will is without first taking the, the, the first two steps, then what ends up happening is you almost always don't obey then God's will when it's revealed. God's will is actually more clear than a lot of us think. We just don't read the Bible enough, okay? And so I can't really obey God's will if it's here because I haven't given him my body or my mind. So why would I do what he says? But a lot of us are like, no, 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 God, here, here's the thing. I want your will for my dating life, but don't talk to me about my money. I want your will for my family, but don't talk to me about my career. I want your will in this area, but not that area. That's not how God works. God's will is revealed to you as you are in the daily process of presenting your body and renewing your mind. God, I have presented my body. I have transformed my mind. Now I can discern and comprehend your will. Think about what, what that means, right? When you understand that your body and your mind belong to God, every morning you're getting up and you're saying, God, my time, my mouth, my mind, my schedule, uh, uh, my plans, they, they all belong to you. My money, none of this belongs to me. So in light of that, what is your will for me today? That's how we should be praying. I love when scripture tells us how to pray. I'm still praying the, when we were looking at Psalm 90, uh, verse 17, I'm still praying that prayer. Lord, uh, 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 when he says, uh, teach us and establish us and satisfy us. I'm still praying that prayer. I love praying through lists. This is a new prayer list for you. Lord, I present my body. Lord, transform my mind and help me to comprehend your will. That should be our prayer on a daily basis. Listen, if you don't pray like that, then forget about your habits because you're, you're going to make your habits about you if you think that your body, your mind, and your will belong to you. But they don't. They belong to God. And once you understand that, then it changes how you pray. And here's the thing, here's the thing, right? The, the thing about God's will is that God's will is always good but it doesn't always feel good, okay? So don't miss that. In Romans 8, 28, uh, what we see in scriptures is that for God works all things for the good of those who love him. 
But what we said when we were looking at that verse is that many times it's like the will of God. It's like God's in the process of doing something. And at the end, it will be good. But it might not be good right now in, these, in our perception of it. So it's like God is baking a cake and he might be putting an ingredient that you don't like. He might be putting baking soda or, or egg. And the ingredient in the moment is not that great. But we can't judge God based on the current ingredient. We got to judge him based on the cake that he's making at the end. And so God's will uh, uh, is good, but it doesn't always feel good. But once we understand that, once we present our bodies, once we transform our minds, like Jesus, we can say, not my will, but your will. Because it's not my life. It's not my body. It's not my mind. It's not my time. It's not my schedule. It's not my money. Your will, not my will. Right? And here's the thing. Pretend that your life is a script, right? And you have an idea of how your life is going to go. To truly live out what Paul is calling us to live out here, you have to every morning take your script for the day, for the week, for the month, and lay it before God. And you have to give God editing rights over your script. God, this is what I think the day is going to go like, but I'm presenting you my body, I'm transforming my mind, and I'm surrendering to your will. You have editing rights over my script. Dr. Charles Swindoll, here's what he says. He says, your call will become clear as your mind is transformed by the reading of scripture and the internal work of God's spirit. He says, the Lord never hides his will from us. In time, as you obey the call first to follow, your path will unfold before you. Then he says, the difficulty will lie in keeping other concerns from diverting your attention. So that is the three-part pattern that we are given. And like I said, I almost named it the, the precursor to habits. Because if I don't understand that my body and my mind and my will don't belong to me, I will not establish and cultivate habits that honor God and help other people. But once I understand, once I present my body, once I uh, transform my mind, uh, once I comprehend his will, all of a sudden I can say, God, in light of all this, now teach me habits that honor you and help other people. So that, that is the pattern for habits. What I want to do now um, as, as we move on to the second point is I want to look now at the power for habits. We've looked at the pattern for habits. And when I look, I want to look now at the power for habits. Now, now here's the thing. Here's what I mean by the power. Hopefully, if you're anything like me, as I've been working my way through this pattern, you're thinking, man, I really want to live like this, but this is hard. Like, how, how can I consistently live that way? Like, how can I possibly live that way on a daily basis? And a better question than even how is why would I want to live that way? I, I'm an American. I, I'm, I'm free. This is my body. This is my mind. This is my time. Why would I want to live like that? Well, here's what's beautiful. The, the Apostle Paul in the passage, he actually tells you why. In verse one, I'm going to reread the first part of it again. He writes this. He says, I appeal to you. And the word there, appeal, means to urge. It means to plead. It means to beg. It means to encourage. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. Paul says that the why 
the thing that motivates us to live this way is the mercies, plural, not one, but the mercies of God. Now, now here's the thing. Before I talk to you about the mercies of God, let me tell you what usually motivates us, okay? Instead of being motivated by God's mercy, many times we're either motivated by our mess or by our merits. So, so let me unpack this. The, the, the first group of people, which usually fall into the younger brother of the prodigal son story, what they're motivated by is their mess. In other words, because of their rebellion, their life has fallen apart. And so now they're tuning in thinking, man, I just got to get my life back together. I ignored God long enough. It's time for me to really love God. Because of my rebellion, it's ended up in a mess. And now because of my mess, I have to clean my own mess. I have to fix it. And so what happens is those individuals, they, they, they go to, 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 to God and they, they're, 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 you're taking notes right now furiously, but what's actually motivating you is not God's mercy, it's your mess. And you're like, I got to fix this. And usually what motivates those people is guilt, right? So because of your rebellion, you've ended up in a mess and your motivation is guilt. Now, the other group of people are the people who are motivated by not their mess, but by their merit. And these are the people who haven't necessarily been struggling with rebellion. They are all about religion. And so you're taking notes because you're thinking, oh, this is just more steps on how to be a good Christian. Tell me what I got to do because I, I got it all figured out. So, so what do I got to do? Okay, okay. Uh, 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 present my body. Check. Okay. Transform my mind. Check. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, comprehend God's will. Check. See, but these people, instead of being motivated by their mess because of rebellion, they're being motivated by their merit because of religion. And so they think that this is just another thing to help them become a better Christian, right? So, so these, those people, the second group, they're not motivated by guilt. They're motivated by grit. It's up to me. I, I got to do this. But the thing is, Paul says that your ultimate motivation shouldn't be guilt because of your mess or grit because of your merit. It should be gratitude because of God's mercies, because of God's mercies. That should be what ultimately motivates you. Now, now here's the thing. If you're anything like me, the question you should be asking is what, what mercies can Paul be talking about? I don't see any mercies here in verses one and two. So what mercies can Paul be possibly, refer, be possibly referring to? What, what mercies are we talking about here? Well, here's what's beautiful about it, right? The reason why there's a word therefore is because the word therefore points you to what came before. And if you have ever read the book of Romans, and if you haven't, I'll give you a summary. Essentially, from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 11, the apostle Paul has been describing to us not just the mercy, singular, but the mercies of God. He's been talking to us about God's love. He's been talking to us about God's faithfulness. He's been talking to us about God's grace. He's been talking to us about God's forgiveness. He's been talking to us about God's patience. He's been talking to us about God's kindness. And again and again, chapter after chapter, Paul is just overwhelmed by the, the mercies of God. The word mercies there means the sympathy, the, the compassion, the pity, the, the undeserved goodness of God. He, he is so overwhelmed by all these different mercies that by the end of chapter 11, he literally breaks out into worship. Right before chapter 12, right at the end of chapter 11, he is so overwhelmed by the mercies of God that look what he says here at the end of chapter 11. Paul writes, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And then verse 36, this is the crescendo. He's so overwhelmed by the mercies of God that in verse 36, Paul cries out, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. He is so overwhelmed by the mercies of God. He's like, you don't see how good God is. You need to see it. You need to taste it. You need to understand it. You need to meditate on it. And then all of a sudden, the the only logical, rational response is to give your body up. It's to transform your mind. It's to surrender your will. The Paul says, in light of the mercies of God, the only logical response is worship. That's what Paul is saying. And here's what's beautiful, you guys. The the greatest expression, the greatest demonstration, the greatest concentration of the mercy of God is not an attribute, is a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why Jesus is the ultimate expression of the mercy of God is because Jesus is not just the priest, he's the sacrifice. That's crazy. In the Old Testament, the the, the priest and the sacrifice were separate, two different entities. In the New Testament, the high priest becomes the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Come on, church. That's the beauty of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, he came down and he lived out the passage that we can't live out. He presented his body. He transformed his mind. He surrendered his will. And in the garden, Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus became the first living sacrifice because he died like every other sacrifice before him. But then he rose again three days later. So Jesus became the first among the dead. He became the first living sacrifice for you and for me. Man, but that changes your motive. When you wonder, that's, there's power in that. That's what Paul says in Romans 1, that the gospel is the very power of God. There's power in that. Why? Because when you look at the passage, we are not holy. We are not acceptable. We are not pleasing to God. If anything, we should be dead sacrifices because of our sin. Man, but because of Jesus and because of what he accomplished for us now, we get to worship God. But it's not out of legalism. It's logical. It's not out of religion, it's rational. It's the only appropriate response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this changes the way you approach habits. This changes the way we approach this series. And that's why the title of our, the subtitle of this series is You Are Not What You Do. Because every other book on habits, and uh, fortunately almost every other sermon on habits that you'll hear, will tell you that you're all, you are what you do. But according to the gospel, you are not what you do. You are what's been done. That's why Paul refers to them as brothers. These these fools haven't done anything. The Romans are sinners and broken and wicked just like us. And yet Paul calls them brothers. Why? Because of what Jesus did. It's, It's covenant language. So we are to present our bodies. We are to transform our minds. We are to comprehend God's will, not in order to get his love, but because we already are Loved. That's the gospel. Listen, to the degree that you understand 
and appreciate the power for patterns, for her habits. To that same degree, you will live out and carry out the pattern for habits. Amen? Hey, listen, if you're sitting here today and uh, this is the first time you've heard any of this or maybe it's your first time back in a long time and you're hearing about how you got to present your body and transform your mind and, and, and com comprehend God's will, you might be sitting here and, and you're thinking, I, I don't know if I can do this. Well, here's the great thing. Jesus already did it. And so if, you, if the reason why you maybe have stayed away from Christianity is because you think Christianity is just another religion, I can tell you right now that if all we had was this passage, then yeah, maybe it is like every other religion because every other religion has moral people who do good things. But Christianity is different, not in the what we do, but in the why. It's the mercies of God. So maybe you're sitting here today and what's keeping you from God is your mess. Maybe what's keeping you from God is your merits. I'm here to tell you that the only thing that can save your soul is the mercies of God. And so according to scripture, what the Bible tells us is that in Romans 10, is if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. And so maybe today that's what you have to do. Maybe today is the day that you place your faith in Jesus. If that's you and you want to respond today, I would love for you to text the word high point to the number 97000. Or if you're at a church at home group, maybe you can tell your group. And right there, your group can talk to you about it and pray with you about it. And that today can be the day in a light of Jesus' sacrifice, you can become a living sacrifice for God's honor and for the help of others. So now as we transition, I want to set up the questions for our church at home groups. Here are the questions that I want you guys to be processing and discussing today. The first question is this, for true gospel-centered habits to be formed, our lives must be presented for his worship, our minds must be transformed by his word, and our plans must be submitted to his will. Out of those three, is one of these more difficult for you than others? If so, why? It's the first question. Second question is this, what are the greatest barriers that keep us from presenting our bodies as living sacrifices on a daily basis and why? And the next question, in what ways does the world around us try to conform, shape, mold us to its patterns? And how can we intentionally renew our minds on a daily basis? Then why does discerning God's will only happen after we have presented our bodies and renewed our minds and why is that order so important? And then the last question is this, why is remembering what God did for us, the gospels, the mercies of God, the greatest motivation and power for what we must do for him, which is present our bodies, renew our minds and discern his will. And why do religion, fear, pride, mess, merit, why do those not work in the long term? And so those are the questions uh, that we want you guys to discuss. I look forward to hearing from you guys on how everything went, but uh, let me go ahead and pray for us now. Father, we come before you today and we are so grateful for your word. And Lord, I, I, I'm just so excited about starting, of, of starting this brand new series, but I pray that Romans 12 uh, becomes the verse that we go back, the, the, the chapter that we go back to again and again, and that we would understand that we are not what we do. We are what's been done. We thank you for that. This changes the way we approach habits. Our habits are not ultimately about us, 
and our glory and our good, but they're ultimately about you and your glory and our neighbor's good. Help us to change, to change the way we view habits even before we start talking about specific ones. God, I pray for the people who today have decided to place their faith in you. I thank you for their lives. I thank you for the transformation that you, that you bring. Help them to be a living sacrifice. Help all of us now to be living sacrifices who present our bodies, transform our minds, and comprehend your will. Be with us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.